There was one time I had a crisis. I went to the emergency department and they didn't know what to do with me. They literally did not know what to do with me. In this episode, I catch up with Sonia, Rochelle and Chukuma on their experiences of living with sickle cell from the perspectives of the UK and Nigeria. We explore the good. The people that I've been with or that I've dated have made it their sole concern to find out everything and anything they can about sickle cell. The bad. I feel like mine is getting worse and I'm getting older. Like I only had my first major crisis when I was 18 and then from then it's been hell. And the ugly. I have like aunties from church like sending me videos. These are people that have like completely had their genotype reversed and it's like gone. I'm your host Dr. Yemsi Bokini and this is Sickle Cell Unboxed. Sickle Cell Unboxed is powered by the Genetic Society. Thanks very much everyone for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on the Sickle Cell Unboxed podcast. It's much appreciated. Now the goal of this project is to explore sickle cell literally from the past, the present, through to the future. And, but I thought it would be crucial to have at the center lived experiences. So people who actually have sickle cell telling us a bit about their lived experiences. So perhaps we'll begin with um, you, Rochelle, Rochelle and Chukuma. So first of all, Rochelle, and the reason why I'd like to do this is because commonly we think of sickle cell as SS, which is the most common type of, of sickle cell. But sickle cell can also be SC. So tell us a bit about what SC is and your experiences of, of sickle cell, your Ghanaian British background. Tell us a bit about your experiences of living with sickle cell um, here in the UK. Yeah, so um, my probably most of my lived sickle cell experience was when I was younger. So I feel like I experienced a lot more of my probably the painful side of sickle cell when I was younger. SC is one of the genotypes of sickle cell. Um, what many people get a bit confused or probably um, complicated that it is still sickle cell disease, um, but it's just a different genotype. Um, and it's just as it's just as valid and it still um, has its own um, experience as SS, but possibly for a different way many people. Just like a brief overview of my experience, I probably experienced most of my pain when I was younger. And then as I grew more into my adult years, I became more um, used to managing my sickle cell, knowing what my triggers are, what works, what doesn't work, and it's become manageable. Um, so that's like a brief overview of how SC has been like for me. But I think the main thing is that it is still sickle cell disease. It's not a trait, you know, it's still sickle cell disease. And, you know, so you uh, grew up, were you presumably born and raised in the UK or yeah. spent most of your time in the UK? Yeah, I was Tell born us, and raised. So, I, you know, I, as a medical doctor, trained in London. So mm. fair enough, we, we were very exposed to sickle cell on a regular basis in the hospitals. Mm. We knew the pain management and things like that. Are you based in London or outside of London? What has your experience yeah. been like? So I'm, I live outside of London. I live in a predominantly white area. Um, so I live out of London, sort of in the suburbs. So um, in terms of my experience, it's been, it's different. So when I was younger, I used to, when I had a crisis, I would go to the uh, my hospital in London because I was younger and they felt that I needed more specialist care if I was ever to have a crisis. So when I've had a crisis, I went to... Um, my specialist hospital in London. So that would be King's, that's King's College Hospital. And it still is my hospital. 
um, for follow-ups. As I've grown up, as I've gone older, I just go to my district general hospital when I had a crisis. Now that has been a very different experience, predominantly white area, no clue about sickle cell. There was one time I had a crisis. I went to the emergency department and they didn't know what to do with me. They literally did not know what to do with me um, until there was a black doctor that came on the night shift and he had he had experience. He had sickle cell himself. He, he knew what, what to do. Um, thank God for that. Um, so he was able to give me the adequate care that I needed because I just couldn't advocate for myself well. I was interested in too much pain. But then obviously, as I came around, I was able to kind of advocate for my care a lot better. So that's a, the big difference between, you know, attending a hospital that's in the city, in London, where it's more diverse, more ethnicities, bigger awareness of sickle cell, as opposed to um, in like the, the countryside or the suburbs where there's not as much knowledge. And would you say things have improved, like more awareness? So in terms of like, let's say when you mm. go to your hospital that's out of um, London, you know, would you say things have improved since perhaps when you were a bit younger? Yeah, I do think it's improved a lot. There is a lot more awareness. And I think they are, I think in terms of the medical field are trying to create a lot more awareness about it. But I always, I always do feel that I still would like, I still go in with my treatment plan. I still want to go in advocating for my care because sometimes I think there's just still a bit of a misunderstanding, especially around pain management. Um, so I think it's still important to just be aware. And, and you know, you, that 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 uh, issue that you mentioned about pain, one of the reasons why I thought it would be important to get you on a joint call is because some of the overlaps I've seen with our discussion about pain, about being stereotyped when you get to A&E needing, you know, pain relief. Um, so Sonia, tell us a bit about your experiences. So you're S SS and you are based in Lagos, Nigeria. And then I'll come up to um, Chukumwa, who is, um, has experience in both Nigeria and the UK. Okay. So um, in terms of pain management, it's like, yeah, basically the stereotypes. So even when you go to hospitals, like you would expect that because it's Lagos, Nigeria, and because like there's a lot of, people with like sickle cell and they're like there's an actual foundation in Lagos you'd expect like you know hospitals know what to do and like the type of responses to give but then you'd find out that a lot of them actually don't and I don't know if it's because of training or if it's because of um because you'd hear things like oh it's because you don't pray that's why you're experiencing this much pain or have you told God about your problems because like you know um Nigeria is very religious so like regardless of like the different types of religion it's a religious society so they have like beliefs that like okay while medicine works like you have to you have to pray you have to go to church you have to do things like that for you to actually be healed which is all fine and good if like that's your opinion and that's your belief system but like what in terms of like pain management like you can't tell someone to pray with their pain like it just doesn't make sense so like I've had um, experiences where like I would go to hospitals like I've had to change hospitals like a number of times I've, I've gone to um hospital where they were like um I should just relax mind you I was in pain <laughs> to relax while I wait for the pain to go I don't know it just didn't make sense and growing up because I wasn't very aware because I didn't have any friends that I had sickle cell so I wasn't very aware of like everything that was happening to me until like I got older so like in my head I was just very confused one and then like there are people telling me to pray away my pain so it was just very you know it was chaotic 
um but there's some doctors that try to go out of their way to make like in my current hospital there are do- doctors that try to go out of their way to make um managing the pain easier if that makes sense so like while they like administer the medications and things like that they would also be like oh do you need anything do you need me to get the nurse to like get you like a hot water bottle or something like that so yeah but it's still very it's still kind of like the same beliefs that people hold here in terms of pain you know and the irony of of that nigeria being the country the largest proportion of individuals with sickle cell and there's still being a bit of confusion as to as to what needs to be done to relieve the pain okay so chukwuma um you are based um in the uk london uk at the moment well not london actually but you are based birmingham. in the uk birmingham you have experience in both nigeria and the uk when it comes to sickle cell you are also sc so just like um rochelle tell us a bit about your experiences I can't remember when exactly I found out I was SC. I always I always thought I was SS as well. I can't remember. I knew it was in Nigeria. I found, finally found out I was SC, and it's funny because I found out. Oh, it's not as yeah. I found out that people who are SC don't really suffer as much. But then I feel like in regards to Rochelle, she said hers was when she was younger. But mine, I feel like mine is it's getting worse as I'm getting older. Like I only had my first major crisis when I was 18. And then from then it's been hell. But then, yeah, I feel like my body can kind of handle it more now. I don't really, I don't do the whole screaming thing anymore. Like when I'm in pain, I'm just very quiet and yeah, tense basically, yeah. But then in Nige, uh, going through the whole crisis thing in Nige was very... Uh, it was an experience because most of the time I, I find uh, I find that I get crises at night and at night because I sleep in Abuja. So when it and it always be like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. and to start waking my family and then to start driving all the way because the roads can be sometimes quite dangerous. So like I normally find myself just sleeping away at night, uh, finding a taxi and then just going to the hospital because uh, I, I have, fortunately, the hospital I go to is one I've been going to since I was 12. So they know me there, like, it's like my second family. So once they see me, they know what the problem is and everything. So they'll just keep me there. It's either, oh, they'll give me my painkillers, which in Nige is a very funny issue because they don't, they don't really believe in giving. I don't know why they don't, like, it's like they want you to suffer because the painkillers I used to get, is they don't give morphine. It's called pentazosin. So like, and they only used to give it to me twice in a day, every 12 hours. So once it wears off, I would have to wait in pain for like six, seven, eight hours until the next dose, unless a nurse wants to be nice and sneak me one. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was an experience. Uh, it's funny because I'd always just get the pain injection and then have to get back home before anyone in my family wakes up. I mean, my brother would always know because I, I just make sure oh, at least one person knows in case I don't, I, I'm not able to come back. Uh, so then, yeah, that was an experience. But then coming to the UK was very different, you know, being able to call an ambulance and go to the hospital, getting morphine every two hours, you know, always nurses, always checking up on you, you know, taking your um, OBS, blood pressure, all that thing. Like, I'm very used to it now, but then I was just like, wow, it's just, it's just what I've been missing out on compared to being in night so it was it's it's two very very different experiences but so yeah 
And, you know, I know you mentioned that, you know, you've, you've been able to get uh, a good pain treatment and, you know, you're based in Birmingham. So that's quite a diversity. They're probably very aware of, of sickle cell. But some of the things yeah, that, have, you know, uh, specialist hospital, uh, sickle cell, there's in my hospital, which funny enough, the, when my family, my, like my family moved, because I've always been in Birmingham as a student on my own. But when my family finally moved to Birmingham, I made sure the house we got is my house is literally two minutes away from the hospital because I don't want to hear a story. Like when it hits me, I need to be gone quick. So yeah, the hospital I go to, they have a sickle cell center, like dedicated sickle cell center. The only problem is they're only open Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 4. And I get most of my crises at night. So I'd have to go to A&E and then wait for them to open if it's a weekday. If it's a weekend, I have to wait the whole week. I'm not allowed to be discharged the whole weekend until they're open on Monday. So that can be annoying, but at least, you know, if it's weekdays, I'm covered if it's in the day. So, yeah. You know, your experience obviously bears testament to the fact that where there are institutions and hospitals with specialists, sickle cell, you know, insight, Rochelle, you mentioned the reason why, you know, you were relieved of pain that day because you had a doctor um, who was aware of what to do. So it just shows that that can make a huge difference. Now, I'd like us to go back a bit, right? In terms of people's awareness or people's perceptions of sickle cell, uh, Sonia, you touched on that briefly. Uh, you mentioned sometimes people say, you know, just pray your pain away or the reason why you're getting a crisis because you're not paying. Uh, so, Sonia, um, perceptions of sickle cell in the past versus the present. Do you feel like, you know, attitudes towards sickle cell has changed? Now it's like I feel more comfortable telling people like that I need at first sight that, OK, yes, I do have sickle cell and explaining what it is to them. Because I feel like a lot of people just don't know, so they, they don't know how to act. And while like they've heard things, while they've like um, they're certain stereotypes surrounding sickle cell, it's like I, I don't think it's as bad as it was. Because I know that when I was younger, when I was in primary school, someone literally walked up to me. I was like, I heard that you're going to die when you're 17, and I was like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So like. But then, like, we were younger, so, like, she obviously said it based on what she heard from her parents or something like that. So, yeah, there's just this ideology, there's just this stereotype, this attitude, like, surrounding it. And it's, like, it could be... I feel like if more people were informed, it wouldn't be as... It's just ignorance. So, like, if more people were informed, it wouldn't be as bad. But, like, right now, I would say, like, I try my best to speak about it and, like, to make, like, certain, like... Like, when we're out and, like, if I'm cold, I'm just like, oh, yeah, like, I probably need to, like, get a jacket or something because I don't want to trigger a crisis. And, like, I, I know I had one time my friend asked me, oh, what's that? So I had to explain what it was to my friend to the best, you know, possible way I could do it. So, yeah, I wouldn't say is there's any difference between then and now. I'll just say, like, now my attitude was this is, like, I want more people to know. Yes, definitely. And, you know, um life expectancy of sickle cell has improved drastically. So I, I, I'd i imagine, you know, that perception of someone thinking, you know, yeah. an individual sickle cell is going to die at 17, that's because historically, or, you know, people thought that that would be the case. But, you know, life expectancy has improved drastically. Um, Rochelle, tell me a bit about, um, you know, your experiences in the UK. Um, I feel like I've had quite a lot of, well, my experience anyway, probably not more, not really a stigma, but just more of a lack of understanding about how it affects me or affects others as individuals. But in my experience, people have always been 
eager to know, eager to understand that, you know, if I do talk about it, I'm, I'm quite open about it. People do ask, oh, what is that? How does that affect you? What does it mean? Like people are int- interested to understand and know, especially in my workplace, obviously any job that I've applied to, I make it very known because obviously a lot of my jobs have been in healthcare where it's very demanding. It's very fast paced. It's very chaotic. Um, so it's something that I have to be quite aware of. So people, a lot of people, I am, obviously I work in healthcare, so a lot of people are very aware of what sickle cell is. So in the workplace, it's never really an issue, but obviously like non-medical people, so admin team not don't always know what it is, but they're always like very happy to understand and know. Um, so I haven't felt I've actually received a lot of stigma to experience a lot of that, probably just more of a lack of understanding. Um, and Chukuma, you obviously you have experiences from both sides of, you know, UK, Nigeria. Tell us a bit about your experiences. In Nigeria, it's always bad. It's, it's always there's always a stigma. Oh, you're so skinny. Why don't you eat? Uh, do you have HIV? It's, it's very annoying. Very very annoying. And you can't even try to. No matter what, how much you try to educate mm-hmm. them, they don't really they don't really care. I don't know. They don't put in the effort to even learn or know. But then in the UK, I mean, I've not really faced any anything like that to be honest i feel like people just mind their business there and just here yeah, just show genuine concern they may not know but then obviously if you're in pain they'll just try to help you out and everything but yeah i mean even with my friends my friends i'm i'm happy because i have friends who try to make a uh, genuine effort to like educate themselves and know oh or how to especially with me like oh if i'm in pain what they need to do just things like that is just nice to me, to be honest. So yeah. And um, but then when not... it, when it was in Nige, you know, it was it was not good. I, I don't I don't think I have a single good experience at all. Okay, and Rochelle, you you you, you want to come in? Yeah. Um, I'll just go back to the stigma. Um, I just remembered that I do feel I've experienced stigma still, like in the African communities, like your aunties, your uncles, your church family. Like sometimes, like on a regular, I have like aunties from church like sending me videos, um, like WhatsApp messages about, oh, this is someone who prayed that they'll like be cured from sickle cell, and like you need to keep praying. Like these are people that have like completely had their genotype reversed, and it's like gone, you know. And even like my parents, for some time actually, like in my teenage years, would like try and tell me to um, like keep praying, like you know it will go, like blah blah. blah. And like, it's not that, I mean, like, I mean, I'm a Christian, I'm a, I'm, I'm a like, believing Christian, and but it's just, sometimes it's just so unnecessary, like, it's just unnecessary, like, it's not something, it's not something that I've ever cursed God about, or I've ever felt, you know, um, or like, God, why have you done this to me? It's like, never something that I've been so regrettable about, or like, my life is hell, so it's just but there's obviously that like stigma around it like oh this is like a a punishment for you or this is something so like bad in your life that we need to like pray like gotten rid of and I've never seen it like that I've just seen it as this is part of me this is like how I'm you know this is my life this is how I was born this is what I and I'm just living how you know how um God created me so but I think it's not I don't know whether it comes from a place of genuine um, genuity or it's just that weird stigma around it. I don't know. It's just very strange. 
You know, and, and the reason why I asked that recently, I, I was speaking to um, a doctor who's AS uh, and she she mentioned some of the stigma she received, especially in the context of relationships. So that is our, our next point of discussion, right? So sickle cell and love, sickle cell and relationships. Sonia, tell us a bit about your experiences in, in that. You're laughing. How come? Tell us a bit about your experiences on the theme of sickle cell and love, sickle cell and relationships. Okay, so I think for me, because I've been very like particular about like not trying to put myself in a situation where I have to like put someone in this situation that I'm in. So like anytime I meet someone, it's like one of the first questions I ask is like, oh, what's your genotype? What's your blood group type of thing? And like, I wouldn't ask it like directly, but like it'll come up in conversation stations and I try to mention that I'm single so just so like they know that okay yeah this is something that's like serious and everything I don't think I've had a relationship that I've had to like cut shots because of you know my genotype because I'm always particular about like okay who am I dating this person cannot even be a <laughs> type of thing so it's like I've I've been cautious in that but then the thing is it's also very limiting because you might like someone but then you can't really do anything about it because it's like yeah I like you but then it's not going to go far so there's no point yes so I think it's limiting in that aspect and um in terms of like relationships I've been like I feel like I'm also very privileged in that area a lot of the people that I've been with or that I've dated have made it they are so concern to find out everything and anything they can about sickle cell so like when i get sick it's like okay they know they understand so they don't do it to like doctor me but they do it to like be aware to know that okay this is happening because of this this was the trigger um just to be careful and like little things like oh maybe for going out and then like maybe they're taking a jacket for me if i forget or like if something's happening they're like oh yeah do you need this or should we stop by and get something warm for you to drink or something like that? So, yeah, like, I think I've just been fortunate in that area. But it's like, it's very limiting. Yeah, and, you know, that's a, a beautiful experience, I would say. You know, people who take the effort to, to learn, actually learn about, um, you know, sickle cell and, and what they can do to help. Chukuma, tell us a bit about your experience on the theme of sickle cell and love, sickle cell and relationships. I've not been with that many people, but I don't even, I don't think it's an issue with me because... I don't plan on having children or anything, so that's just me. But then most people I've been with, I know they do show genuine concern and they try to be there for me whenever I'm having a crisis. They always want to be on the phone with me just to make sure I'm okay. You know, yeah, it's it's nice, but yeah, it's not really something I think too deep into. Mm, and how about you, Rochelle? Um, so for me, it wasn't really, um, so <clears throat> I'll probably talk, I'll probably say rom- um, like romantic relationships and friendships. Um, like, so friendships, I'll start with friendship. Friendships has been really, um, good. I don't really have many friends. Um, I kept myself very guarded throughout my sort of younger years, teenage years. But a lot of the friends that I have, um, are very close to me and they really understand, um, what I go through. Like they really understand um, and have taken the time to understand. So I appreciate that. Um, and, you know, they always check on me, ask me if I'm okay. So I'm very thankful for that. Um, in terms of romantic relationships, not 
I didn't really experience much trouble in that area because my first major relationship was the person I got married to. So he was not really in that much area. And he he's Dutch Ghanaian. So there was like a very 50% chance he was not going to have a sickle cell trait because he's half white, half, half black. So it was like, okay, we've got a really good chance here, you know, that, you know, he's not going to have a sickle cell trait. Lo and behold, he didn't. Um, so it was like all fine in that area. And so I know having children will not be... Um, I mean, they might, one of them will possibly have a trait, possibly. Um, but, you know, I plan to, I plan to adopt anyway. So there's not going to be a very big percentage of there possibly being a trait. Um, so, I mean, so yeah, I plan to adopt one child, not all of them. Um, but yeah, so I didn't really experience a huge amount of trouble in that area when it came to like the romantic relationship side of things. Um, but yeah, my um, but my husband he didn't know about sickle cell. He didn't know anything about it, which was very interesting. Um, so I had to really kind of school him on you know what it is, how it affects me, what you need to look out for. Um, you know if I'm in if I'm in pain, what you need to do. And um, so yeah, he's become very educated in that. So yeah, that was interesting. Mm, that's good. So that that's you know the past, and let's let's move on to the present i'd like to focus on treatment so sonia um you're in nigeria at the moment rochelle and chukoma are based in the uk at the moment crizaluzumab right so that's a new drug um that's been released um has been found to reduce sickle crises admission to hospitals that's about ten thousand pounds per dose Right. Um, so we know that at the moment that's not even accessible to everyone in the UK because it's only 5000 people over the course of three years. So it's being reserved for people who are having really, really severe instances of, of sickle cell crises. But we do know that there are drugs that are a bit more accessible, even though they are still relatively expensive, especially um, when you in, in the Africa co- um, context. Tell us a bit about, you know, treatment that you've, you, you're on perhaps, uh, Sonia, and whether or not this has improved quality of life for you and what you'd like to see in this area in terms of access for more people, if you do feel like it's been beneficial. So I think because like, as I've grown older, like my um, crisis, they've reduced. Currently, I haven't had a crisis since, I think, early last year or 2021. Yeah, so um, I would say like the drugs that I take, they're kind of working for me right now. Before I would have to like always be in the hospital, um, you know, blood transfusions and things like that. But then um, that kind of stuff, I started taking the hydroxyurea. I started taking like twice a day. Then I like, um, my doctor reduced it to once a day. So like, I've just been taking that on my regular meds. Um, I wouldn't say I have any issues that would like lead me to like wanting more medication or like better medication for now i hope <laughs> so yeah i haven't really had issues in that aspect so it's not like but then in terms of accessibility hydroxyurea you can actually like it's accessible but it's expensive so it's not affordable for all and there are lots of people that suffer from this disease that don't sorry condition not disease condition that don't have like the um means to get like to get medication and there's some people that have like a lot of um they're facing worse circumstances so like they, their situation's like not as um stable as mine 
So like when you go to the hospitals, you just see people that like constantly always there that you know that, okay, this person is always in the hospital. Like they just need to get something done to like have, you know, quality living. So yeah, it's quite expensive and it's relative for everybody. I mean, some people might require to like have the bone marrow transfer like right now because of the situation that in. But some people it's like, okay, you know, you're good for me. I've been privileged. But um I would I would hope that like you know medication becomes more affordable. I know that hydroxyurea is like from um 10k to like 14k, but like the average Nigerian can't even like spend 500 naira a day. So it's expensive in that aspect and it's not everyone that's like financially stable enough to like afford medication. So, so at, you know, at the moment, uh, there's no need for crizolizumab, right? It's a bit of a mouthful because hydroxyurea, you're doing so well on that. And that's, you know, that bears testament to the fact that, you know, we have drugs that are available, just increasing access to more people. So Chukuma, tell us a bit about your experience. I know that you are on hydroxyurea, also known as hydroxycarbamide. Has it made a substantial difference for you? What's, what's your experience been like? Yeah, it has. I'm nearing, if not nine months on it now. Before I get a crisis every two weeks, maybe one week, but now like I go gaps without going to hospital, which is good. Yeah, it's really it's nice because um, being able to live a uh, uh, kind of normal life is is I mean you can't really <laughs> you can't really put a price on that. But then yeah, it doesn't. It, it it's really helping me. It's really really helping me. And um, were you started on hydroxyurea from Nigeria or did that just happen when you moved no, to no, the UK? No, no, in the UK, in the UK. Okay. Okay, and Rochelle, uh, tell us a bit about, um, you know, your experience with treatment, besides yeah. obviously the pain aspect of things. Mm, um, so I'm not on anything. I just have, if I'm in crisis, um, I haven't had a hospital admission since I was... Wow, probably since I was in the third year of my undergrad. So that was a good four years ago. That was a, like a major hospital admission. I was in there for like a week. Um, since then, if I have a crisis, I manage it at home with like a lot of supportive management. So like hot water bottle, heat packs, simple medication, like simple, like still prescribed. So things like naproxen, cocodamol, lots of hydration, water. It will take longer to overcome, but um, I avoid the hospital, so that's good. And I had blood transfusions when I was younger, but again, I haven't had that since I was younger. Um, never been, I've never been started on hydroxyurea. My consultants haven't felt that it's um, uh, needed. I was on penicillin daily when I was younger, but again, I stopped that when I was like 16 because my consultants felt that I was very stable and I was doing well. So yeah, it definitely, I can see like, it just very much just varies person to person, you know, in terms of sickle cell. And it, I'm starting to really see and appreciate that how it's different for everyone. And that's, that's something that has been very interesting for me because sometimes when I visualize, um, maybe when you just see sickle cell on social media, I feel like it's very easy to assume that that experience is the same for everyone, but it's so different because we're all different and we've all got different genetic makeup. So, um, yeah, it's just different. But, yeah, that's my experience with treatment. Yes, and, of course, you know, severity differs, as you mentioned. Everyone is affected um, differently. And on that note, the possibilities of a cure. So we know there's gene therapy, but that's about a million pounds per patient, and a lot of that is currently being tested at the moment. But we also know 
um, bone marrow transplants um, has great gained popularity. Uh, before it was historically many children that yeah, and they would do this on, but techniques have improved and now adults are being considered suitable for bone marrow transplant, which can offer a cure. Have any of you actually considered that? Right. So Chukuma, let's go to you. Have you ever considered uh, the prospect of having a bone marrow transplant to actually have a, a cure for your for sickle cell? Yeah, a lot when I was younger, like between the ages of 18 to 20. Something I was thinking about, hoping to do, but then I don't know, the past year or so, I've not really, I don't think, I've, I think I've come to peace with the fact that I may never do it and that's okay. So like, I mean, if the opportunity, if the opportunity pops up, Yes, but then the timing has to be right because I, I, when I read about the process, it basically a year of your life, you can't really focus on anything else. You just have to focus on the treatments and then recovery afterwards. And then it's just a long process. So like, I feel like the stage I'm in right now, I can't really, even if they, if they ask me to do it now, I would actually say no, because I have, I have a lot of things going for me right now. Maybe after I'm done with uni, but then it's not something that I think about anymore like I used to. It's not, yeah. And the reason why I asked, because, you know, uh, most recently I've come across a lot of fundraising campaigns where people who are, you know, young adults with sickle cell raising money to perhaps go to India, go to um, Turkey to, to get this procedure done. Sonia, tell us a bit about your thoughts on this. Okay, so, I mean, I would want to do it if it makes, like, obviously going to in, um, improve the quality of living that I currently have but like right now it's like like I said I haven't been in hospital a while like if I'm in hospital it's probably because of like an infection or something like you know not so serious that but not a crisis I don't think it's necessary for me at this point in time I mean like I feel like people a lot of people do it like despite the risks and everything because they can't you know cope so it's something that I I definitely want to do one day but it's not like I mean, it's going to happen one day, but it's not like I'm, I'm, you know, eager to do it or anything. And, you know, one thing that you'd like to leave everybody with, um, in the con- or, you know, on the subject of sickle cell, if there's one thing that you could see change in the context of sickle cell, what would that be? And Rochelle, we'll start with you. Um, I think really just more understanding and more individualised understanding. So really just asking a person, oh, what does sickle cell mean to you? What does that look like to you? Um, what does that look like in the context of your life? Is something that I'd really like to see more understanding about. Yeah, that's what I would like to see. Okay, and Chukuma, what, what what's one thing that you'd like to see change or one thing in, in the context of sickle cell? The stigma in Nigeria. Yeah, if that can change, I'll be okay. I don't know about anything else, just that. Okay, and Sonia? Um, yes, that's for sure. And I just wish like more people actually like made effort to, you know, find out. Like I mean Google is not expensive. So just find out like what it is being in general not um offensive. Because I feel like people say things that are very offensive. I'd love for us to continue the conversation. Join me on Rare Disease Day this February 28th, 2023 on online discussion and Q&A with some of the amazing guests we've featured on the series. Details can be found in the description. Alternatively, visit our website at sicklecellunboxed.com to register to attend. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm your host, Dr. Yemsi Bokini, and this is Sickle Cell Unboxed. Sickle Cell Unboxed is powered by the Genetic Society.